Thank you for all that you're doing, speaking, building, equipping. And so as Kat shares your word, use her, Father, to, to touch us and to speak into our lives. I pray for those who need encouragement, those who are here, Lord, seeking an answer. Father, something in that word would touch them and change their lives forever. Thank you again for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to declare that I love Jesus. He is the most amazing person, and it is just incredible to be in a relationship with him. And I love him for all sorts of reasons. I love him because he died for me. I love him because he's compassionate and gracious and abounding in love. But I also love him because he has a sense of humor. And I love that. I love that. I love people who make me laugh. And there are lots of people here with whom I can have a good laugh, and I love you for it. I also love Jesus because he talks to me. He talks to me all the time. And I would hear what he says if I listened. If I tuned in, like we tuned in to BBC Wales this morning and heard that fantastic service from Gateway. It really was powerful. But this year, it started on New Year's Eve of last year, of course. Some of us were gathered to pray and to worship into the new year. And God began to give me words, isolated words, phrases, and it's carried on from then right up until even this morning. Some of those words and phrases are as follows. Listen. Chosen. Freedom. Purpose. Position. Time. Enjoy the moment. Life. Opportunity. And as the weeks have gone on, and it's only, what, three quarters of the way through February, God's been building on those words. And I want to talk to you about some of those words this morning and how they apply to us. But I would encourage us to listen, not to listen to me, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And part of listening to the Holy Spirit is to give him time to speak and give him opportunity to speak into our lives. And part of that means that we take out, we switch off, we wait upon the Lord. Sometimes he just breaks through anyway, doesn't he? A favorite place that God speaks to people I have found through chatting with others and my own experience is the shower in the shower. Because we're not usually plugged into anything in the shower. We're usually available. And so he grasps the opportunity. And he did that to me on, on Wednesday morning and spoke very significantly into my life and actually set me free from something. And I thank him for the shower. And I thank him for speaking to me in the shower. But one scripture that came to my attention on that evening in New Year's Eve, which I think Carol brought, 
was Mark 4, verses 23 to 25, which is on the screen. These are words of Jesus, and he says, Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. So we have a responsibility. And be sure to pay attention to what you hear. The more you do this, the more you will understand, and even more besides. To those who are open to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, even what they have will be taken away from them. So there are those words again, listen. And those of you who were here on Thursday evening listening to Phil Jones, one of the phrases that kept coming up that God was saying to him was, pay attention. And there it is in that verse, listen Pay attention, understand. And that's a challenge to all of us. But I'm just going to concentrate on a couple of those words this morning. I'm going to think about being chosen. I'm going to think about position. And in John, John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus says, and he's speaking to the apostles. You did not choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last, so that my Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now, in those chapters in John, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, <clears throat> Jesus is in conversation with the apostles. It's Passover time, and it starts with Jesus washing the, the feet of the apostles. And he goes on to discuss and chat and teach them, and they to ask questions and converse with him. And it's a wonderful dialogue. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue between him and the various apostles. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's talking to them because they were chosen to be the apostles, for that time, for that season, for that purpose, he was given them that position. But that wasn't exclusive. Jesus' choice is for all of mankind. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of God, as it tells us in Timothy. So his invitation is inclusive. It includes everybody who's ever lived and whoever will live. But in that particular instance, he was talking to the apostles. And he says that he's chosen them to be fruitful. He's chosen them on purpose, for a purpose. And he's positioned them in that time of history for a specific task. And it's exactly the same for you and for me. John 15 talks a lot about the vine, the branches, the father being the gardener. Most of us are very familiar with that passage. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. He tells us that Father God is the gardener. And that's all true and that's all important and we need to take that on board. But I want to go back a stage in the process of fruit producing. And first of all, I want to talk about seeds. We've all had seeds sown into our lives. And 
God knows what he's invested in us. He knows our experiences. He knows our character, our nature, personality. He knows our natural talents that he's given us. He knows the spiritual giftings that he's given to us. He knows the experiences that we've walked through. And all those things cause seeds to be deposited within us. And he wants those seeds to be brought forth as fruit. Sometimes we're not aware of what's in us. We don't know our potential, but God does know our potential. And sometimes it takes other people to make us aware and to tap into it and release it. And often at school, that's the job of the teachers. They identify a certain gifting within a child or a certain talent on the on the sports field or whatever it is, and they encourage that child, they encourage that young person to develop their giftings. It might be an artistic gifting or whatever. In the same way in the body of Christ, our leaders, our elders, our life group leaders, they often discern stuff within us that we're unaware of. And they challenge us and they give us opportunities, there's that word again, to develop that fruit within our lives and to use what God has given us to produce fruit for the kingdom. So we've all got seeds in us. We're also seed sowers. We also have the ability to sow seeds into other people. And again, we do that in all sorts of different ways. We don't always have to be Bible bashers. In fact, very often that's the worst thing we can do. But a hug, a smile a word of love, a word of encouragement, just an attitude of acceptance, befriending, serving. All these things are seeds of the gospel that we sow because what we're doing is representing Jesus. Jesus loved, Jesus served, Jesus gave, Jesus accepted. And so as we do that in our everyday walk of life, we are sowing seeds. The words that we say, are we speaking words of life? Are we speaking words of affirmation? Are we speaking words of encouragement into people? We're sowing seeds. So we've got lots of seeds, seeds that have been put in us and seeds that we've got to sow. And seeds, of course, put down roots. And they then produce fruit or flowers, or whatever it is that they are. In Ephesians 3, verse 17, Paul is writing now, and he says, And I, that's Paul, pray that Christ will be more and more in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And so the seeds that are sown in us, we want the roots to go down into God's love, into fertile ground and have a revelation of the enormity of God's love for us. And we only have to look at the cross. We've been singing about it this morning. Our Savior died on that cross. I was talking to somebody earlier in the week and saying, you know, we can't imagine what Jesus went through. We can't imagine what it was like to be whipped, to be tied to a whipping post and be whipped to such an extent that Our bones were exposed. To have nails driven in 
to our hands and our feet and and to hang there, not able to breathe, because when you're crucified, you can't breathe. You're, you're totally congested there. You have to haul yourself up to take a breath. And that's agony that's indescribable and we can't imagine. That's how much he loves you and me. The enormity of his love is beyond our comprehension. But increasingly, as we mature in Christ, we understand more and more and more of God's love. And as we do that, we get to know him. We get to know what he's like. We get to know how he works. And we get to know who we are in him. And that gives us confidence. So being fruitful relies to a large extent on our relationship with God. Well, totally, I suppose, really. We learn to trust him. We know the truth of who he is. We know the truth of who we are. And then we can step out boldly into the position and the purpose for which he's called us. Fruitfulness should be the natural outcome of being loved by a loving God. It frees us to be the person God made us to be. You'll see on the screen the sunflowers. Now these produce oil. Philip reminded us last week that the Holy Spirit is represented by oil. But the sunflowers produce oil specific to them, sunflower oil. The wonderful thing about the sunflowers, if you've driven through um, fields of sunflowers, they all have their faces turned to the sun. And that's why they're fruitful. That's why they produce the oil. I'm going to tell you a little story now about me. It's not good. Years and years ago, this actually was given to me in July 1982. And in, in, at that season of my life, I was just coming into the things of the Spirit. And we used to meet, Denzel used to be there, we used to meet at the Methodist Church, didn't we, Denzel, with Mike and Maureen Gregory and other pastors and other people from, from the churches in Abergavenny. And we used to have really good meetings. And at one of these meetings, one of the pastors who was in Abergavenny at that time had a word for me. And the word was, your days will be full of sunshine, for I will shine on you. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome promise. But because I was a baby in the things of the Spirit, I wrote it in my Bible and I didn't give it a second thought. I just thought, oh good, I'm going to be happy all my life. Everything's going to go smoothly. I'll just sit down and receive it. I didn't know at that time that I had to take it on board. I had had to declare it. I had to believe it. I had to stand on it. I had to pray into it, and I had to fight for it. So I just didn't bother. And when the clouds came, they blocked the sun. And when the storms came, they were so in front of my face that I couldn't even see the sun. And that is a lesson for us all to learn. Scripture says, fix your eyes upon Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross. But it's the fix your eyes upon Jesus. If I had not allowed the storm clouds to block the sun, I would have produced better fruit than I did. Because I concentrated on the storms, because I was looking at the black clouds, I went into a pity party. I felt very sorry for myself. I got resentful. I got angry. I allowed bitterness to take root in my heart. I produced the wrong fruit because I was not focused on the Son of God, the Son of Righteousness, the one through whom we can be fruitful. Don't make my mistake. If God gives you a word, pray into it. Stand on it. Declare it. Fight for it. Speak it over yourself. But if, like the sunflowers, we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, then we will produce oil. We will produce the oil of joy. We will produce the oil of gladness in spite of the storms and in spite of our circumstances because they won't block the sun, S-O-N. And we will produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit that we should be demonstrating in our lives if we're facing and keeping our focus on the sun and allowing the Spirit to work through us. God, as I've already said, knows our potential. And so he positions us to be fruitful. We're chosen to take our position in the body of Christ. And as I've already mentioned, our experiences, our character, our giftings, our talents, prepare us to take up that position. An example in scripture where a position had to be filled was when Judas betrayed Jesus and he went out and he killed himself. That left a gap in the team of apostles that had to be filled. And so they prepared to appoint somebody to fill that gap. So there was a position available, but the person had to qualify. There were qualifications that had to be made. And the qualification was that they'd been with Jesus from his baptism up until the time that he was taken into heaven. You see, we have to have qualified to serve in certain positions. We have to have had the experience. We have to have had or gained the knowledge and understanding. We have to receive the the anointing, the gifting. And so there were two people who actually qualified, and they drew lots, and Matthias was appointed to fill that position. But he wasn't just chosen to fill that position so that there were 12 of them. It wasn't about numbers. It was about purpose. And the purpose was that he could then be a witness to all that had gone before. And it tells us about that in Acts chapter 1. So Jesus, in the same way, has qualified us for a position within the body of Christ for a purpose. 
just because he says he'll do it, just because he may have prophesied it over you, or the elders have said, I believe that you should be moving this direction, it doesn't mean the door will open straight away. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have a smooth ride. We've only got to look at King David to know that. David was chosen and anointed to be king as a very young man. But it was years later that he was actually crowned king over Israel. And in the meantime, life was pretty difficult for him. Saul tried to kill him a couple of times. He had to run away. He lived in exile. He actually alienated, is that the right word? No, that's the wrong word. He joined himself to a foreign king and went on raiding parties. He lived as an outlaw, basically, for years. It didn't mean that he'd got it wrong. It didn't mean that Samuel had got it wrong. So if it's tough, it doesn't mean it's wrong. If it takes time, it doesn't mean that you heard God wrong or that the elders got it wrong. It just means that you're on a journey and that God is getting you ready and preparing the ground. And we always have to remember, it's not just about me. God's also working through and with other people, getting everything ready. God doesn't leave a stone unturned in his preparation. He is the God who makes everything ready. We must also be careful that we don't try and take a position that is not ours to have. And again, we can look at David. David so wanted to build the temple. He so wanted to do that. But God said, no. He said, you don't qualify, David, because you have shed too much blood. But he said, your son, Solomon, will build the temple because in his reign, there will be peace in the land. So David had the privilege of getting the materials ready, but he was not allowed to build the temple It is important that we do not try to take a position that is not ours. We'll only get frustrated. We won't be fruitful. We have to find our place. And we can be assured that God knows what he's doing. Still talking about David. David was a warrior. He was a mighty warrior. He was a good king. Yes, he made mistakes, we all know that. He was a man after God's own heart. And he set in place an efficient structure for the functioning of his kingdom. And we read in 1 Chronicles 27 that each man had a position for the running of the whole. And it's the same for us today. It's the same for us in Gateway. It's the same in nuclear families as well, actually. Each person has a different position to take, a different responsibility. I don't want to embarrass my son, but I'm going to tell you this story. (laughs) Sorry, Jim. (laughs) It's just come to my mind and made me giggle. When the kids were very, very small, we had various pets, as some of you will know. And um, one day, I don't know, I think the kids had had to write in school uh, they went to Crickhall Primary. They had to write down what their responsibility at home was. And my youngest child 
wrote down, Dad is in charge of mum. No comment. Mum is in charge of me and Nina. Nina's in charge of me, and I'm in charge of the cat. (laughs) But it worked. It was a good system. (laughs) Well, David had a little bit more to be in charge of, but each person had their responsibility. And it says in 1 Chronicles 27 that there were various divisions of the army with people over each division. Someone was in charge of the storehouses. Someone was in charge of the farm workers. Someone was in charge of the produce of the vineyards. Someone was in charge of the fig trees. Someone was in charge of olive oil supplies. Someone was in charge of the donkeys. Someone was in charge of the flocks. And David had a counselor, a scribe, a confidant, and a commander of the army. Now, as long as each person kept their position and fulfilled their purpose, it was like a well-oiled machine. But if the scribe suddenly decided that he'd look after the donkeys, and the farm worker decided that he'd be the scribe, there would have been chaos. We all need to be in our position for the good of the whole. And every one of those functions and every one of the functions or positions or purposes here is valuable. Everybody is as valuable as the next one. So don't think, oh, I'm only A. No, you're not only. You are. You are A, whatever. And that's vitally important in the body of Christ. So, we're not here just for the ride. We're not here just to keep a seat warm. We're here chosen for a purpose, on purpose, to take up a position in the body of Christ so that we, as Gateway, can impact the community, can serve the kingdom purposes, and be fruitful. Then secondly, we're chosen to be holy. And 2 Timothy 1.9 says, It is God who has saved us and chose us to live a holy life. Now, there are many, many scriptures that tell us about being chosen to be holy. Holy means that we're set aside for God's purposes. And you might think, well, how can I be holy? Well, we've been made holy through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. Hebrews 13:12 says, So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates in order to make his people holy by shedding his own blood. We've been washed, cleansed, purified, made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Now, those of us who were at Bible school, we learnt that we're made up of three parts. There's spirit, soul, and body. And when we become a Christian, our spirit is made alive or quickened through receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. As Christians, our spirit is made perfect before God. It's our spirit is where we are holy. 
The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and as we walk with him, we mature and grow and get greater understanding. And when we receive Jesus, we're made right with God through the blood of Jesus, and Jesus cleanses us. God declares us not guilty. He removes our sin. It is no longer in us. Psalm 103 says, He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west and looks at it no more. It's a done deal. You are holy if you have received Jesus as your Savior. You might not behave in a holy way. That's a fact. But the truth is you are holy. And we have to remember that, and we have to remind the enemy. So we're spiritually made clean. But it's in our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, that we have the battle. And that's where we're being made holy, continuous present tense. We are being made holy all the time. Temptations come. The enemy will do all he can to persuade us to do unholy things, to behave in an ungodly way, to make ungodly, unwise choices, to persist in habits that are not good for us. He'll tell us it doesn't matter. He'll tell us God won't mind. He'll tell us grace will cover all that. But remember, he is a liar. He is a liar and the father of lies. So it's in our soul, in our mind, our emotions, our will, and of course in the flesh that we get tempted by the enemy. And that's where we have to play our part and make wise choices. We have to turn away from previous patterns of behavior. We have to choose not to relate to certain people anymore. When I was teaching in... um, the girls' grammar school many years ago before I had the children, um, one of my A-level students became a Christian. And the first thing she did was to dump her boyfriend who was a non-Christian, and she knew that he wouldn't do her any good, so she finished with him. And I applauded her for that. That took courage, but that was the right thing to do. And sometimes we have to move away, break away from old relationships Sometimes we have to stop going to places that we have frequented, stop listening to certain music, stop watching certain films, horror films being one of them. There are things that we have a responsibility to do and not do in order to move into holiness or go on being made holy. Um, I'm not going to read them all out because I'm sure you know them, but... Ephesians 5 gives instructions on things that we need to leave behind. In the NIV Bible, the heading is rules for holy living. And it says, flee from. You know, it's that important that we turn and we run. We turn and we run away from. And then it lists them. Gluttony, sexual immorality, and so it goes on. Perverse talk. Lewd jokes, etc., etc. We mustn't even entertain them if we want to go on being made holy. 
And um, in 1 Peter, it tells us to, um, to live a life filled with love, following, following the example of Christ. And it talks there about our attitude, actually. It says, get rid of malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. So there's all sorts of things, all sorts of behavior that we have to turn away from and refuse to engage in. The reason we should live holy lives is as a testimony or a witness to God. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12 talks about this. In fact, if you read 1 Peter 1 and 2 and Ephesians 5, that will fill in the gaps that I've missed out. But it says that we should live holy lives to show others the goodness of God. Now, when people know us, you know, in our unregenerated selves, and then we're saved and our lives are transformed, we step into the kingdom of God, people notice. They notice that we're different. And then they ask, what's happened to you? And then we introduce them to Jesus. So it's a witness and it shows the goodness of God. But also, another reason to be living under the um, instruction of God and obeying his, his commands is that it does us good. Sin actually does us harm. It's harmful to our bodies, it's harmful to our minds, it's harmful to every part of our being. If we indulge in sinful practices, we will suffer sooner or later. And the enemy will lie to you and say, oh, go on, go on. Smoke this, go on, swallow that, go on, sniff that, go on, drink that, go on, do that. You'll enjoy it. Yes, you'll enjoy it, but you'll suffer for it. You will live with regret, possibly with guilt. Your body will be affected by it. And it's just a slippery slope to disaster. So God chooses us to be holy and gives us his decrees and his commands so that we can live long, healthy, fruitful, abundant lives that we heard about earlier on, about abundant life. If you listen to the broadcast, you'll hear about that. And it says in in Deuteronomy that we will greatly increase in the land that the Lord is giving us. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want the impact of Jesus to increase in our community. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Nobody's pretending that it's easy to, to turn away from certain relationships or habits or behavior. But there are people here that God uses to set others free. There are people here who are gifted in praying for healing, for deliverance, for all sorts of things. If you're struggling with anything, please Don't think that it's only your problem. People here care, and also nobody will judge you because none of us can say, I'm perfect, I've arrived, I've never done anything wrong. So we all know what it's like to struggle. And if you are struggling with a particular issue, then please be open, be transparent, be honest, admit it, get help, get prayer, get ministry, and let Jesus Christ set you free. It's wonderful, it's wonderful to be set free by Jesus.
I told you about my um, experience in the shower on Wednesday. I'm not going to go into detail. Suffice it to say that there's been something that's been troubling me for the last five years or just over five years. And it's about a certain time, timing of something that happened. And um, when I was in the shower on Wednesday morning, um, the scripture came into my mind, or three scriptures just came, these phrases kept coming into my mind, at the right time. You know, at the right time, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. When the time was right. When everything is ready. Jesus says, when everything is ready, I will come and take you to be with me in John's gospel. So all these phrases, at the right time, when the time is right. And really, I'd been saying to God, you know, you did that on that day and that wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time for me, God. And I felt God say to me, you may not understand the timing, but my timing is perfect. And the fact that you don't understand it actually doesn't matter. And then I realized that for the last five years, I'd been angry about this. And I had to get down on my knees and repent, ask God to forgive me for being angry and for being resentful. Because his timing is perfect, actually. And he is God, and we don't always have to understand the whys and the wherefores. He knows what he's doing. So we've been chosen to be fruitful. We've been chosen to live holy lives. And amazingly enough, we have been chosen to share his eternal glory. One Peter five ten. But God shows undeserved kindness to everyone. Everyone note everyone. That's why he appointed Jesus Christ to choose you to share in his eternal glory. You may suffer for a while, but God will make you complete, steady, strong and firm. That absolutely blows my mind. It never ceases to amaze me. Sue and I often have this conversation. We say, it never ceases to amaze us that God chose us. You know, I identify with Gideon as the least in my family, the least intelligent, the least everything. But he still chose me. He chose us to be fruitful. He chose us to be holy and He chose us. He chose you and me to share in his eternal glory. He wants us to be with him forever. And that's a long time. He wants our company. He loves us. And he wants us with him. And he gave his life in order to purchase our eternal destiny. If you haven't listened to the broadcast, please listen to it. I had written this ages ago, and last um, one day last week, I can't remember when, I took it to Chris because I always like to know that I haven't made a great error. And, um, and part of it was about, you know, sharing eternity with Jesus. And then I listened to Chris's message on that broadcast this morning, and I thought that 
That just is amazing. Listen to Chris's glory, peace, love, joy, being reunited with those who've gone before, with our children, our spouses, our whoever, our best of friends, who are already in glory. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all because of him. It's all for him. And yet, we benefit so much. He is so, so good. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. 1 John 3, 2 says we shall be like him. And just to finish, I want to read, those of you who take word for today and actually read it, Dig, dig. (laughs) You're not condemned. But on the 1st of February, this was what it said. This was the verse, 1 John 3.20, we shall be like him. And it says, we shall graduate from this version of life into his likeness. We'll have a spiritual body. In our current state, our ungenerated flesh battles our ungenerated, uh, sorry, battles our regenerated spirit. I'll read that again. In our current state, our ungenerated flesh battles our regenerated spirit. Our eyes look where they shouldn't. Our taste buds desire the wrong things. Our hearts know that we shouldn't be anxious, but our mind still worries. In heaven, we will no longer have that rebellion within us. Our new bodies will be spiritual bodies, with every part cooperating towards one end. And then it gives a quote from Joni Erickson Tada, who'd been confined to a wheelchair since age 17. And this is what she says. I can't wait to be clothed in righteousness without a trace of sin. True, it will be wonderful to stand, stretch, and reach to the sky, but it will be more wonderful to offer praise that is pure. We won't have distractions. We won't have insincerity. We won't have half-heartedness. My heart will join with others and bubble over with evanescent adoration. We will finally be able to fellowship fully with the Father and the Son. For me, she says, this will be the best part of heaven, fellowshipping with Jesus, seeing him face to face, hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So let us be a people who respond to the fact that we have been chosen on purpose, for a purpose, to take up a position in the body of Christ, to bear fruit, to be holy, and then ultimately, when that day comes, to spend eternity in glory with Jesus. We've got lots to give thanks for, lots to celebrate. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He's coming again.